Well, good morning, Wildwood, and let me uh, also wish you a very happy new year. Glad that you were able to join us today for this first service of 2023. It's especially impressive if you uh, stayed up till midnight and are here because it was a little later. Uh, I don't know if that's what you usually do. Uh, my kids have started to get into the whole New Year's thing as well, but thanks to the wonders of streaming, our countdown happened at 8.45 last night. Uh, so uh, that was uh, very helpful. Uh, I also don't know if you're the kind of person who really likes uh, resolutions. If you look to this as an opportunity to uh, make plans and goals and uh, change things for the new year. There was a day when I looked at the new year and said it was just another day. And it doesn't really matter, you know, nothing really changes. It's just, you know, a day on the calendar, you uh, have to update things, but uh, nothing really changes. But my mentality has changed on that. I think it's very useful to have these moments, to pause, to rest, to reflect, and to look forward. How did things go in the past? How could things be different in the new year? And so I encourage you to think about that. How could things be different in this new year? If you have your Bibles with you, and that's a good thing to uh, start doing in 2023, I encourage you to open them to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We'll be jumping around just a little bit uh, this uh, morning, but we'll be spending a good amount of time in Exodus 20. By the way, my name is Dan Rober. If we haven't been introduced, I have the privilege of serving uh, as community director here at Wildwood. And one of the questions I get very frequently is, what in the world does a community director do? Well, I do a lot of different things. And broadly speaking, uh, my job is to create environments for connection and growth and maturity, both here at Wildwood and in our Christian lives in general. When it comes to Wildwood, I oversee things like our first impressions team and our membership pathways, and I work with our community groups and our men's and women's ministries to provide those opportunities for growth and fellowship and connection. But in our Christian lives, I also oversee that because we want to grow in those as well, moving from unbelief to belief, from belief to maturity, and from maturity to reproduction. And so I oversee things like our core classes and our seminars and our Bible studies and our podcasts and other resources like the Plan to Grow and other things that we have. And I mention all of this to say that today, I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to focus our attention on what I think is a frequently missed and misunderstood aspect of our Christian lives. Today, I want to talk about this idea of rest. Out of respect for the Word of God, could we stand as I read from Exodus chapter 20? I'm going to be reading starting in verse 8. We're in the middle of the Ten Commandments. So starting in verse 8, it says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, or you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we embark on this new year, perhaps setting new resolutions and setting new patterns in our lives, 
I want us to consider the role of the Sabbath or the Lord's Day as an important and perhaps even a foundational element in our Christian lives and growth. I am convinced that for the sake of our lives as Christians, we need to reinvigorate our understanding of the Sabbath. And so I want to argue this this morning under three headings. I believe that God gives us the Sabbath by his example. God gives us the Sabbath as a command, and God gives us the Sabbath for our good. Let's look at it in three ways. First of all, God gives us Sabbath by his example. We see this right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. We have the creation narrative where we go through six days of creation, and on the seventh day, we hear of rest. Genesis 2, starting in verse 2, says this, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." A couple of words that are important to draw out here. First of all, this idea that he blessed that day. This Hebrew word, barak, for blessed, is never used exclusively in the Old Testament for God's sake. It's used for our sake. As humanity, we are blessed by God. We are provided with something good from God. When God blesses this seventh day, He's providing something for us. There's something beneficial about having this day. But he doesn't only bless it, he also makes it holy. This is the word kadash in Hebrew, and the word holy is something that is unique or special or uncommon, set apart from the rest. He's distinguishing one day out of seven and setting it apart. Now, it's interesting to note that he never uses the term Sabbath here. He's, he's just talking about the seventh day. But the term for rest, that verb, is actually very similar in the original Hebrew to the word Sabbath as a noun. You can see that connection, Sabbath, rest. There's a correlation there that we have to note. There's a meaning for rest. So when we put this all together... God wants us to rest, and he provides his example for that. Now, did God have to rest? No, of course not. God could have started day eight making a whole nother universe if he really wanted to. I don't know if you're into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maybe it's a whole multiverse thing where he's creating a whole Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Whatever he wanted to do, he absolutely could have done that. He didn't need to rest. He rests for our benefit, to show us an example of what we should do. God is setting apart one day in seventh to be a regular day of rest in the weekly cycle of human existence. He sets this example, but he actually enforces this example as well. You can see this in Exodus chapter 16. We don't have time to read it, but I will summarize. The Israelites had just been freed from captivity in Egypt. They, in a miraculous way, they were set free. They moved across the Red Sea. And in Exodus 15, we have this beautiful song of Moses celebrating this freedom. 
And then he gets Exodus 16, where they say, okay, now food. <laughs> what, what, what do we do? And they have to figure out how they're going to survive. And they say, maybe we just go back to Egypt. That will be better. They, they forgot all that provision that God had already provided for them. And God once again provides for them with something called, what is it? Otherwise known as manna. But it's interesting how he sets up the manna for them. He says, you're going to have all that you need. Eat, take, enjoy, but don't hoard it. Use it for that day, but if you try to save it up the next day, it is going to be rotten. It's going to be infested with worms. Don't save it up, except for the sixth day. On the sixth day, their call was to go out and collect two days' worth for everybody. And that one day, in some supernatural way, it did not grow rotten. But why were they supposed to save it up? Because that seventh day, they were not supposed to work. It says this in Exodus 16, verse 26. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. In fact, verse 29 refers to the Sabbath as a command, and this is before they have even received the Ten Commandments. So it's interesting that this idea of rest existed even before the law was given. It's a part of creation. We see this how God the Father is providing us this example of rest, but we see this as God the Son does the same. In his earthly existence, we see time and time again through the Gospels that he is spending the Sabbath at the synagogue. We also see examples of him resting. Time and time again, he goes off to rest, to be by himself, to pray to his Father. This example that we have of Sabbath from our God, I would argue, can be summarized in three points. First of all, intentionality. There's a purpose to what is going on. Choosing carefully how and why we do what we do. God gives us that example. He also gives us the example of community. Spending time together with God's people. Now, God can do that himself in his inter-Trinitarian relationship, but we also see that God the Son does that with fellow Jews during his life and existence. But finally, we also see this idea of wholeness. And this is so important. If we turn Sabbath into simply something else to do, we miss this idea of breathing, of simply resting. Over this Advent season, we talk about the concept of peace, and we visit that as a true peace that comes in Jesus. This idea of shalom that isn't merely the absence of war, but it's the presence of completeness, of fullness. It's sitting on your porch after you've mowed your lawn with a fresh glass of lemonade and saying, stuff is good. It's a rest. It's a rest that we can begin to experience now, and it's a rest that we're looking forward to in the time to come. God gives us this as an example. But God also gives us Sabbath as a command. 
And this is what we've read already. We've read from the Ten Commandments that God has commanded the Israelites to follow the Sabbath. You may be aware of this. The Ten Commandments actually show up twice in the Old Testament, first in Exodus 20, but also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it's fascinating to me that of all the commandments, the Sabbath is the one command that has the longest description. They want to spend the most time focusing on this idea of the Sabbath. But not only that, it's actually the one that changes the most between in Exodus 20 and when it's given again to a new generation in Deuteronomy 5. When we read it in Exodus 20, what we've heard is a call back to creation, saying God rested on the seventh day and therefore we are to rest as well. In Deuteronomy, yeah, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the uh, support is actually different. I'll read it for you. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It's interesting that the support for it changes. It's not to say that the focus on creation goes away, but it's also adding this idea of saying, remember, remember how God has provided for you. But there are two orders here in this command, two verbs that we want to pay attention to. The first one, remember. Remember the Sabbath day. It's interesting how many times God has to say remember in the scriptures. Did you forget? Hey, hey, remember that thing that we talked about? Remember that? One of the greatest invocations that happens to Israel over and over by the prophets is that you have forgotten. And so the call is, stop it. Remember the Sabbath day. But the other verb here is to keep it holy. God made it holy. We, we read that already, right? Genesis 2, God made that day holy. It's our call to keep that day holy. See, our temptation, especially in the West, is to profane it. To treat a Sabbath day like just another day. To let it become a secularized day off. The call of Scripture is to keep it holy and special. Now, how we do that, we'll come back to later. Hold on to that, okay? But the call is simply to keep it holy. And let's not forget the importance of this command. It was so important that if you looked at Exodus 31, you'd see that those who broke the Sabbath could be put to death. It was that vital in the lives of Israel. And it brings up questions. Probably the most important question, does it still apply? As New Testament believers, are we supposed to be following this command that was given to Old Testament Israel? Now is not our time to delve into taxonomies of Old Testament law, to divide them into legal and ceremonial and moral and try to dismiss some and say we don't really need to do those. That's not the point. I just want to draw our attention to the fact that we aren't talking about some obscure command here. We're talking about one of the ten central commandments given to Israel. 
In fact, twice in the New Testament, Paul shows us that the Ten Commandments summarize the duty of the Christian under the New Covenant. It still applies today. How it applies has changed a little bit, though. Today is not Saturday. Today is not the seventh day of the week. We refer to it as the first day of the week. Does that matter? Well, it's interesting to note that while never stated explicitly, we see that even the earliest Christians changed their attention from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. Why? Well, for us as believers, the resurrection changes everything. God's work of creation and redemption found its center and culmination in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The consummation of God's purposes for humanity and the world have found its beginnings in the, de- in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the seventh day of the week commemorated God's work of creation. The first day of the week commemorates God's new creation. It sets this day apart. Because of the resurrection, we know everything is new. In fact, Revelation 1.10 refers to this now as the Lord's Day. And so we gather together as believers celebrating this new creation that we are living in. It's a tribute to the one on whom creation and redemption and consummation converge. But the call is still there. Have that day of rest. Now, commands are a lot easier to keep when culturally they're normative. You know this, right? If everyone else is doing it, we can go along with the flow and it's pretty straightforward to do it. And there was a day where in the United States, there was a Sabbath day and on Sunday, things looked different. Some of of you know this. Businesses were shut down. In my work as a historian, I studied things like the Sunday mail controversies, how the post office would not send mail, and they would fight over whether or not they should send mail. We have blue laws and other reasons to point out that, well, Sunday was meant to be different. That's changed. And for our culture writ large, it doesn't feel like things are very different. In fact, when you look at businesses that are shut down on Sunday— Places like, I don't know, Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby, those are the odd ones out. In fact, sick uh, a business expert on those businesses, and probably the first thing they would tell them is, you're, wait, you're losing out on a lot of money, right? Because you aren't open on that day, and you're supposed to be. And moment of honesty here. I can't be the only one who has driven into the park, parking lot of a Chick-fil-A looking for a peppermint chocolate chip milkshake only to realize that it is Sunday. Any, anyone else? Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you for not leaving me hanging there. I appreciate that. Yeah. Culturally, we have a habit of treating each day as the same, right? It's when culture does not align itself with God's law that we have to pay all the more attention to it, that we have to focus our attention on what God has for us so that we'll celebrate it even when everyone else says no. It is a command, but we do need to focus on this third thing because it's just as important. God gives a Sabbath for our good. It's a command, but this command can be overplayed. It's interesting. When you go to the Gospels 
and you search for every time that it talks about a Sabbath, it will do two things. It will talk about it as a marker of time. So on the Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples did certain things. But the other primary thing that shows up is when Jesus and his disciples are being accused of breaking the Jewish law about the Sabbath. Let me just give you one example here. Mark chapter 3 gives us this. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. Again, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And so Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The Pharisees were the law keepers of society. They were the conservative branch of Judaism, and they said, we will follow the Torah. People before us had messed it up, and we will maintain it with absolute fidelity. But they went too far. They misunderstood exactly what was being said about the Sabbath. Jesus' response here was anger. He's saying, you missed the point. Look at this man. Can't you see his hand? If we can help him, why wouldn't we want to help him? They missed the humanity of it. I already did that page. Jesus' opponents legislated the prohibitions on work so expansively that they transformed the Sabbath into a crushing load on the backs of humans. They would prefer to lead people in their suffering and in their misery rather than to allow Jesus to relieve them. Now, now please understand this because this is really important. Far from abolishing or weakening the Sabbath command, I believe that Jesus is attempting to restore the rightful meaning and observance of the Sabbath amongst the people who had fundamentally corrupted it. They've misunderstood the Sabbath. And he's saying, yes, we need the Sabbath, but don't go as far as they did. See, the point of the Sabbath is not to keep the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is so much more. Jesus says this in Mark 2:27. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God meant the Sabbath for our benefit. We talked about that. To point us to rest and the ultimate rest of God. It's not just to create a new rule. God provides the Sabbath for our good. So what do we do with this? Well, I just want to give you four reminders. These are not my reminders. I got them from Randy Pope, found them very helpful, and so I want to give them to you. I think they'll be useful as we think about how we can practice the Sabbath or the Lord's Day ourselves. Number one, the Lord's Day should not restrict but liberate. If we turn the Sabbath into what can I do, what can't I do, we've missed the point. We've missed the whole goal of engendering 
rest. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit that this is a hard thing to do because I have kids. And I hear, can I, can't I, and I have to say yes or no so many times about that. And the argument that Randy made is an argument that I really appreciate. This is a perfect time for bribery. I want to show my kids that it's good to have a day that's different. That's why I bring them to church. That's why we set this day as different. But maybe we need to give some celebratory choices that they could make here. You can do this if you really want, or if you do this, let me sweeten the deal for you just a little bit. Make it a little bit better. Number two. The Lord's day should not be exhausting. We've heard this time and time again. The focus of this day is to be rest. Now, there are things that we can do, and this is seen in the Westminster Larger Catechism. It talks about works of piety and mercy and necessity, which we aren't going to get into today. They're permitted and we need to do, but otherwise the goal of today is rest. Yes, this will upend your schedule. Maybe just like the Israelites, we do need to spend more time focusing on Saturday, preparing for a Sunday, gathering that extra supply so that we can actually pause and rest. But we do need to rest. If we don't experience the peace of God on a day like today, we're missing the point. That is the ultimate goal to have that peace, to have that distinction, to have that holy day one day a week. Number three, the Lord's day should include corporate worship with the Christian family. We should be setting aside at least part of our day to gather together with the believers. Today is supposed to be holy. And let's be abundantly clear about this. We talk about this whole difference between a command and culture. Culturally speaking, it's becoming less and less common to be here. I saw a statistic recently that said that on average, people attend church 1.7 times a month. Thanks for being here, by the way. Glad to have you here. And if you're watching online, thanks for being here with us. We're, We're thrilled about this. 1.7 times is not enough. How can we do better? Hear me. We won't be able to do this unless we have convictions. If we are not committed to this idea of saying that we will be in church and we will make every effort to be in church, it won't happen. Uh, Our friend Dean and Sarah over at City Church has a habit of putting it up on Twitter every Saturday night. Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. You got to make that choice. You got to plan for it. Just like the Israelites had to plan for their Sabbath day. We need to make a plan for our Lord's day so it can happen happen as well. And I just want to say a little bit about technology here. We have focused on improving our technology because of COVID so that we can stream our services and so that we offer it. And I am thrilled that we are able to do that. But if all we are getting from for our personal spiritual growth is screens that are showing us services, we're missing the point. 
Fundamentally, church is meant to be an assembly, a gathering together of believers. So take advantage of the technology that we have, but come together in person. Be here with us so that we can celebrate our shared faith, that we can rejoice, that we can worship our God together, that we can encourage and edify one another. This should be a part of your Sabbath. Whenever possible, be with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. One of the things that I absolutely love about going to different churches is that frequently I feel like we can settle right into them. Certainly things are going to be different. You may not know where things are, where to go, those kind of things. But when they start talking about Jesus, I say, I know him. And we can celebrate together. So even if we are in different places, find a body of believers celebrate with them, rejoice in our shared faith. Number four, we must follow our own conscience regarding the use of the Lord's day while never imposing our conscience on others. I told you early in the sermon that I was going to talk about how you can practice the Sabbath. Here's where I tell you I'm not. Why? Well, ultimately, I believe that we need to make those decisions for ourselves. Think about it. God gave this command in an environment where it was an agrarian culture. And so what work meant for them was to toil day after day on the ground. I don't think we have nearly as many farmers here as they did back in their day when 90 to 95% of the population would have been doing that. What we consider work today is going to look very different than what they thought of as work. And refraining from work is going to look a lot different in our technological age. And so we all need to make our own choices about what things will look like when we do this whole thing called Sabbath or rest. We did a podcast on Sabbath about a year ago. You can go to our website, just search for Sabbath, and it will show up. And my guest was Adina Thompson, uh, and uh, she uh, is part of the Jewish congregation just across from Thomasville there. And she was telling me how she practiced Sabbath. One of the most important things she does is takes her cell phone and puts it in a drawer for the day. (laughs) Some of your eyes just started twitching a little when I told you that. I can't do that. That sounds awful. <laughs> Man. But, but it may be a good thing for you to do. One of the best things that I have made a habit of doing myself is to stay off of social media on Sundays. Because I have a bad habit other days. <laughs> but it's good to set one day a week aside and just say, don't touch it. Do something different that day. In general, If you're setting aside the work and entertainments that fill Monday through Saturday, if you're going to prioritize public worship and fellowship with God's people, and if your heart is taking sincere pleasure in communing with God, then I believe you're in a very good position to make God-honoring and biblical decisions about what you should and shouldn't do on the Lord's day. Have the right heart in the matter, and you'll be able to make good decisions. We can see through the scriptures that God provides Sabbath. He provides rest by his example. He provides it as a command, and he provides it for our good. It's a command, but church, it's also a habit that we have to develop. 
something that we have to work on. It's, it's an odd irony, isn't it? We have to work to rest. And yet this is exactly what I think God is calling us to, to develop this habit. There's certain habits that we always know that we have to develop. I have to tell my kids over and over, brush your teeth. Did you brush your teeth yet? Oh, you did not brush your teeth. I could tell, right? I haven't had to deal with the whole deodorant thing just yet. We're a little bit earlier on that, but it's going to come eventually. But I'm waiting for that time when the first significant other shows up. And all of a sudden, I won't have to ask them about using deodorant or brushing their teeth anymore. They'll be taking care of it on their own. <laughs> They'll be taking care of everything possible to make sure that things are taken care of. Well, what changed? The command is now enforced by love. Love has a habit of changing commands. If we're recognizing that this command flows out of love and is our response of love back to God, we'll have a proper understanding of it. Church's Sabbath list world promises heightened productivity. It promises greater economic gain, being open for seven days a week. It flatters this illusion that we have autonomous control over our schedules and over our lives. But ultimately, it leaves its frenetic inhabitants weary and empty. We deprive ourselves of the very thing that we need most, rest. In this new year, church, let's lean into Sabbath, celebrating the rest that Jesus brings and looking forward to the ultimate rest with God.